it's like we finally have a solution. Yes. With all these podcasts, how does one keep up? What are you not? Glad you asked. Welcome to the week in podcast. <laughs> And welcome to this very special Star Wars edition of the Week in Podcasting. My name is Jay Soderberg, but many of you out there know me better as Pod Vader. And yes, as the nickname implies, I am a huge Star Wars fan. I just want to let you know right now, this podcast is full of spoilers, both for the new movie, for movies coming up, and for any of the written material around the movies, uh, we do have extensive conversation about all of that. So if that's not for you, uh, then I suggest you turn this podcast off now. Otherwise, prepare to be spoiled because we really, 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 really geeked out over this podcast. Uh, I am joined by a few very special guests, including a good friend of mine, Eric Young from TNA Wrestling. Uh, I'm also joined by Austin Lee. Uh, he's a uh, representing the Fantasy Movie League. He's also a contributor to footballguys.com. We'll be having a conversation uh, around the movie as fanboys. We recorded well over two hours of our conversation. You don't get to hear all of that right now uh, as I edited out uh, a lot of the boring parts, Uh, but the best parts of that conversation were left right here for you to listen to in this podcast. I also have a mini roundtable with film critics, Neil Rosen and Joanna Langfield. Uh, We'll be talking about the business aspects of the movie and the entire Star Wars saga, uh, going a little bit more uh, on the social impact of the movie. Honestly, this movie is fantastic, uh, if, 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 and you know that. You've seen it, and that's why you're listening to this podcast. Uh, and if you're not listening to this podcast, you, we know that the week in podcasting is about turning you on to other podcasts. And we have a few uh, from the people that join me on this show. But uh, let me mention a few Star Wars podcasts out there in case you're not aware of them. Uh, there's ForceCast.net, the Star Wars Underground, Full of Sith, where... Sith Lords like myself enjoy to listen. Rebel Force Radio. Now this is podcasting. And of course, there's plenty of other podcasts out there recapping this movie, including post-show recaps on BTR. We have Hall of Justice by our former host, Seth Everett. Uh, You're definitely going to want to check out what he has to say about Star Wars. Jeff Adams, who is a producer and host of this show. The Jeff Adams Show. You'll check out what he has to say about the new movie. He's a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, Don't miss Break the panel on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, they break down the movie like no other. The Geek Cast Network, the League of Geeks Network, they're all going to have shows about this movie. Uh, so you'll have plenty of Star Wars content to go right through the holidays into the new year um, and, and plenty more to come, I'm sure. By the way, if you really want to get super in-depth about the entire Star Wars saga, I recommend the Star Wars Minute. Those guys over there literally break down every minute of screen time presented in the Star Wars saga. Uh, minute by minute. Each episode is uh, based on one minute of screen time. It's a fantastic podcast. I highly recommend you go check out that show. We have a lot to get into on this particular program, and we're going to start now with our fanboy roundtable. I'm uh, pleased to be joined by Eric Young. He is a professional TNA wrestler. He is a TV host on Animal Planet. 
You can follow him at the Eric Young on Twitter. He's a good friend of mine. Hi, Eric. How are you? Hey, Bod. Good to see. Good to uh, talk to you again. I don't see you, but in my mind, I can see your face. <laughs> that sense? And I can see that. I can see that beautiful beard of yours. So it's still flourishing. I just want to point out that I had it when it was weird in 2009. There you go. And we are also joined here by another Star Wars super fan, Austin Lee. You can follow him at Austin NFL. He is a analyst for the Fantasy Movie League, uh, which is a fun thing that you can play. And we'll let him talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, He is also an analyst for the Football Guys and the Football Guys podcast. Hi, Austin. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm really excited to talk about Star Wars and the movie's still fresh after seeing it last night at the seven o'clock showing. So I'm still kind of processing episode seven and what I what I liked and what I loved and what I'm still a little confused by. So the beauty here is that uh, both you, Austin and Eric saw the movie, I believe, at the very first showing you could possibly go to on Thursday evening. Is that correct, Eric? That's correct. Yep. Seven, seven central for me. Yeah, it was was 7 o'clock Pacific for me. I uh, had to wait until 9 a.m., which was the first showing Friday morning, as the first showing in the real 3D, almost IMAX-sized movie screen uh, was at 10.30, and I refused to go without my son. Yeah, that was too late for my 12-year-old son. Uh, So we went first thing uh, on Friday morning, which meant I took him out of school. And honestly, I believe he learned a lot more today than he would have <laughs> at school anyway. Um, so that was a good year. time. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. He is Pod Vader. Uh, he, he is evil. <laughs> all I can say is, you know, uh, and, and Eric, you hear this often uh, as a wrestler. Holy <laughs> are the two words that come to mind uh when it after watching that movie it was it was just phenomenal yeah it, i've never uh gone to a premiere of a movie on opening day um truth be told with me is i hate people uh i hate crowds especially i hate standing in line and waiting for anything so i've never done that ever in my life i wanted to experience it i bought tickets like the day they went on sale and I was at the theater at like 2.30 p.m. and showed at 7. And I stood in line with the rest of the nerds and talked to them about their theories. And one guy got mad because he thought there would be two separate lines. And it, was, it was insane. It's, I mean, definitely do it. There was a, uh, what I would describe as a six versus a seven-year-old lightsaber ba- battle in front of the IMAX screen, which was amazing while we were waiting. Then a guy had a millennium falcon droid and it like flew up in the imax theater and everyone cheered like the movie was on and it was insane so yeah it was filled with lots of highlights basically no low lights except for half and wait my wife snuck in double cheeseburgers from mcdonald's and i enjoyed those that was excellent uh yeah so all in all an amazing experience we went to sort of like a a little bit more a quaint theater and uh, they had like the local high school band to play Star Wars music beforehand, and they had like a magic show and some other odds and ends beforehand. So it felt like a like a small town feel of all these people who were just gathered to just cheer at the screen and cheer on anything that had to do with Star Wars. And so it was just fun to be with a crowd like that who, you know, any small nugget of, you know, reference to the classic movies, the whole crowd just went bonkers, just went nuts. So it was just a really great atmosphere. As soon as we walked in, right to the right, 
there was the face paint removal station uh, full of uh, handy wipes for, for people that didn't want to leave the face paint on uh, either for the viewing of the movie or I guess after the movie. I, honestly, I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the rules, what the manners are in terms of face paint uh, at the movie theater is. As we were watching the movie, I had never heard a movie theater as quiet as it was right before the a long time ago and a galaxy far, far away screen came on. In, in between and the most like audible applause I think I've ever been part of like a movie. Like I'm in Franklin, Tennessee. Nobody from the movie can hear you cheering and everyone's yelling at the screen. But I mean, I, there was 10 or 20 times people like cheered and clapped and I definitely could hear people crying when you know what happened. I don't know if we all have to say that. There's a lot of people that are probably going to listen to this and seen it yet. So I don't want to be that guy to ruin it. You, you should know that at the beginning of this podcast, I gave a full-on spoiler alert that there, we are going to have numerous upon numerous spoilers in this podcast. So if they're still listening, it's their fault at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm 235 pounds. I have a beard to drive a Harley. And if you got something to say about it, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and Han Solo dies. So eat it. uh before we get to the han solo dying part let's let's start it right at the beginning so here's where pod vader pulls out the dark side if the republic is financing this movement called the resistance it's not really a resistance anymore is it austin yeah that was a little fuzzy to me as well uh because you know they would be resisting the first order like uh, I don't know. That was a little funky. I kind of give them a pass on that. They sort of throw politics at us, but not dig into it too deeply. I was just sort of thankful that there weren't like Senate meetings in the middle of the movie like there were in episode one, two, three. So I'll, I'll, I'll forgive it a little bit. But that was also sort of my my issue, too, is if, again, the Republic is financing the resistance. Why did it feel like the resistance like was just scrounging together whatever scraps they could to build a base. B- budget cuts, budget cuts, Jay. There's, <laughs> it's, it's very uh, difficult collecting taxes uh, when you're, uh, you know, a part of the Republic. It's, it's very complicated. I think it's covered in one of the books. <laughs> yeah, things are in, in turmoil. It's like the, the government of, of Greece where nothing worked really and no one has any answers about anything. And I mean, where do you get money? I mean, they have, they have to scrounge together. Plus, the wrestler side of me is like, you could make cool t-shirts with that name on it and sell more stuff, which I mean, I'm sure Disney's into. So the more stuff you can sell, the better everyone is. And uh, that's, that's probably another reason for it. So we're also uh, introduced really quickly to the character Kylo Ren. Uh, and as we'll discover as the movie goes on, uh, he's actually the son of Princess Leia and Han Solo. Uh, but he's fallen under the dark side. We also learn that uh, he was in training with Luke as Luke was trying to create a new order of Jedi. Uh, and then as he fell to the dark side, he destroyed whatever Luke was doing, which is what sent Luke into hiding in the first place. Kylo, it turns out, doesn't really care much about anything. And if uh, if it moves, he kills it which makes him, I think, even a little bit more of a badass than, than Darth Vader was, Eric. Yeah, I mean, a little more heartless, I suppose, and real bad temper. You know, like there was uh, several scenes of him mm-hmm. like smashing uh, computer screens with his sword, and the stormtroopers do that like awesome about face and like walk <laughs> off because they're like, oh, let's not go in there. He's freaking out again, which is an amazing scene. And I want to talk about uh, BB-8 is like 
he doesn't talk. It's like R two D two all over again, and you care about him so much. Like you don't want him to get shot or, or or go away. You want him to be in every movie, and he he doesn't even speak. Like they're masters of making you care about. I mean, it's not even a thing. It doesn't have. It has a personality, obviously, but it, it doesn't talk. So it's. I mean, it's masterful. Like you care about it right away. As I watched the entire credits scroll at the end of the movie, noticed that uh, one of the. Um, I, I forgot exactly what his title was. Uh, it was something like a uh, character, a uh, character mentor or something like that is Bill Hader, uh, the comedian uh, from oh, Saturday wow. Night Live. So, uh, so now knowing that and watching BBA, I'm like, Oh yeah, I get it. I can totally see Bill Hader doing, you know, that sort of gesture. It's funny because the droid has a way of moving uh, and, yep. and sort of, cocking its head uh, in a way that makes it feel a little bit more human. Austin, what do you think of BB-8? BB-8 is fantastic. He's adorable. Uh, I like that they made him significantly tinier than Um, R2-D2. He's immediately endearing, just like Eric says. Um, And I I like that Bill Hader connection. There's there's some weird little connections to like J.J. Abrams' friends in these movies, it feels like. Like Simon Pegg plays a role in a weird getup that you don't even see his face. Or like Daniel Craig plays a stormtrooper, I think. This is like some weird little cameos that just so that his buddies could come to the set and sort of like be involved in this, the production. There's the actor from uh, okay. Heroes. Uh, I forget his name. I think it's Greg Grunwald. Um, oh, yeah. Also yeah, appears yeah. as as a as a uh, X-wing pilot, and, and he has and he's apparently a significant member of the X-wing squadron. So. Uh, very interesting to see to see some of these guys that popped up in cameos. Uh, I also enjoyed the fact that Han Solo, being his regular Han Solo self, uh, referred to BB-8 as Ball. Uh, <laughs> He's got an endearing nickname for everyone. Of course, I'm jumping all over the story here. So we bump into our uh, deserter stormtrooper. I forget his actual name, but uh, he ends up being called Finn as he saves Poe Dameron from the Imperial Star Destroyer. Eric, do you remember his his full name? The number? I can barely remember my own name, let alone <laughs> two letters and a bunch of numbers. I mean, I did just see it yesterday, but and that's something you've never seen either. Real, like, you'd never see a stormtrooper really with his helmet off. So it's like, I mean, it personalizes him. Like, you can see up front, and they did the thing where his fallen comrade is down, and they wipe the blood on his helmet so you can kind of tell them apart because they all look alike. And, the, the scene up in the star cruiser where uh, the sergeant or, or whatever you want to call her is kind of like dressing them down and sending them to, to debriefing or whatever. So, it, I mean, it's, it's a really cool character development where you care about him right away because he actually kind of has a personality right away. I love the Finn number thing. It's, it's 2187, which matches Leia's cell number in a new hope. Like I love the throwback there. Like the fans in the oh. theater were just like, yay. <laughs> it was nice. But, well, and that makes a lot more sense as to why these characters keep intertwining. And by the way, we're going to talk a little bit later about what I, whom I believe Finn really is. Now, if you're not watching the cartoon series, but we've learned in Star Wars Rebels that these stormtroopers are not clone troopers. Uh, I had always been led to believe that stormtroopers were, in fact, clone troopers, but it turns out that they're very different. However, they apparently go through... Uh, much the same process where they're taken as 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 young children, uh, infants, and just trained to be a soldier. One is cloned to do so, so it has the same DNA. Uh, the other is random people, uh, which is probably why uh, 
Finn uh, ends up finding out that he has freedom of choice and and thus also probably a flaw in the in the first order that storyline is interesting as well all of these children keep getting abandoned by their parents you know we learn later on that ray is also an abandoned child it seems to be uh, a real problem it really does <laughs> you know we know we know that luke uh while not necessarily abandoned was raised by his aunt and uncle uh but didn't know much about his parents princess leia was raised as not even knowing who her real parents were. She always thought her real parents were the Organas uh, on Alderaan. So um, a very interesting uh, running theme throughout all these meetings, this abandonment of children. They may, they may need to find like a, a interstellar orphanage or something. There, there may be an opportunity there to uh, really help out the galaxy. That seems like a real need in the Star Wars world. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it could certainly prevent this interstellar battle that seems to be going on as well. Uh, if we could only find good parents for these children, Ray and uh, Ray and Finn end up escaping uh, from stormtroopers that are raiding the village. Yeah, I mean, the setup is awesome. They're running through the desert, and, and like you said, like you just said, they said, "Oh, not not that hunk of junk." And then the one they're running towards gets blown up. Like the hunk of junk will be fine, and then they pan over to the Millennium Falcon, and I think that was probably the loudest reaction maybe in the whole movie when people saw it for the first time. Everyone like another audible like clapping and cheering, and I would say probably three quarter quarters of the crowd was, you know, thirty years or older. It was amazing. So Han Solo and Chewbacca and Ray and Finn, uh, they they all get together, and Han brings them. What's the exact quote I'm looking for here? A wretched, Austin, hive, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. You must be cautious. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, they do not go to Tatooine, um, but they do go to this forest planet. And uh, of course, Ray, having grown up apparently on this desert planet, uh, had never seen greenery like this, uh, which brought almost a tear to Han Solo's eye. Did you notice that, Eric? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like where he, I mean, you feel that there's like a really cool connection between them right away. Her being kind of like this uh, master craftsman, like can fix anything on the fly. I mean, very similar to him and and Chewbacca. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, it's really cool. And that the the hive of villainy and treachery or whatever it was, those are the places that I try to find while I'm on the road, like wrestling, like after the show. Those are always the best places. That twinkle in Han Solo's eye when he when he hears her say that or sees that reaction, it reminded me a lot of Alec Guinness's sort of look at Luke as he realized he was about to open up the doors of sort of broadening Luke's horizons on what he knew about the galaxy as he was about to take him out into a broader world. Like that 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 mimicking that moment, I really loved that in this new film. There's there's a connection between Ray and Finn. Although I, I have a theory about that as well. Reading some of the books, like you're kind of introduced to her and you're also introduced to Ren. And I mean, we won't get into that because that's another, I mean, we go, you go on and on about Star Wars I mean, for days and days and never really touch on all of it. Um, but um, what, what was the, uh, the lady at the bar, the bar owner? Maz Kanata was Maz. her name. You like her right away. She like, in a weird way, reminds me of my mom. Like she's short and like <laughs> her eyes, and, like how she has like those crazy glasses on, but like they're soft enough to make you care about her. And it's like it's just another amazing character in the development. And then um, 
She goes down into the basement and touches the lightsaber, which you recognize as, as Luke's. Like, I mean, you can tell if you watch Star Wars, you recognize it as his right away. And then it's kind of like the first time where they out and out and say, like, she has force power. She has this crazy force dream. She sees all this stuff that comes flooding back to her. So it's, uh, I mean, it's a very cool thing character development wise where it happens in like one or two scenes, boom, she becomes a completely different character. And so Austin Maz uh, runs into Ray and Ray is like, what was that? What was that? And Maz says, you know, that was Luke Skywalker's uh, lightsaber as it was his father's. And now it has called for you. And so Maz is sort of leading the audience on that. Oh my goodness. Is this Ray person actually uh, a, the daughter of Luke Skywalker? Yeah, I think that's the the assumption you have to make here. I mean, they'll probably reveal whether that's true or not at the you know beginning of episode eight. But I think that's the assumption you have to make. And um, clearly, when she's connecting with Han and with Leia, they're not interacting with her as if you know she's their daughter. The way they're kind of talking about Ben Solo, you know, the the villain of the film here, the Kylo Ren character. Um, so that, that's my assumption. It's kind of interesting though. I, maybe I'm remembering empire incorrectly, but I always thought that lightsaber was like lost. I thought that, you know, he was holding it when Vader chopped his hand off at the end of empire and he didn't retrieve it before he was rescued by uh, Lando and Leia underneath cloud city. I mean, maybe he grabbed it at some point, but I was like, where the heck did that lightsaber come from? I thought that was gone forever. So Ray says, no, I'm not going to take it. But then Maz hands it to Finn and she said to Finn when she first saw him I've seen those eyes before and if you've listened closely to the trailers this line was never actually said in the movie but in the trailers she says I've seen many I've been around for many years and have seen eyes of others within new people I've seen these eyes before and that line for whatever reason was cut out of this movie and this is huge book spoiler here. In the books, we know that Kylo and Rey are brother and sister, twin brother and sister uh, from Han Solo and Princess Leia. Uh, but we also know that Luke Skywalker does, in fact, have a child. And my belief here is that Finn is actually Luke Skywalker's child. Wild. Yeah, I mean, I, I mind my mind. That's that's my theory. But again. The movie has us leading towards that that Ray is actually Luke Skywalker's child. Um, but I have a feeling that Ray is actually Han and Leia's kid and they were still just playing at coy for whatever reason. I don't know why. I would assume as soon as you saw your long lost daughter uh, that you would embrace her immediately. But maybe they're still trying. Maybe they still think they're protecting her from Kylo Ren. I don't know. I was uh, I was actually trying to explain that to the two people in the car last night that, that went and watched the movie with me, my wife and one of my real good friends. And I was trying to explain, like, Kylo has a, a twin sister, and I'm pretty sure that's her. But they're not, like, acknowledging it. And then, like, it, somehow it's going to come out later. And I was saying, like, Luke's got a son, too, because in the books he's, like, banished from, like, the kind of main planets. And he has to, like, go around, like, kind of like uh, – the the old television show with David Carradine Kung Fu where he travels to these like <laughs> kind of like old junky planets kind of solving problems like a cowboy Jedi Kung Fu master or whatever with his son and his son goes with them and that's from that uh it's like a six series of books called 
Rogue. Oh man, I can't think of them now, but it's all in like a Rogue Rogue series, and then there's six books, and those are like my favorite. And now all that stuff is in the books. Um, and it's weird, like it's a huge jump from six to where seven picks up. There's the you know the birth of the children and the, the twins and him training with Luke and him turning on Luke and destroying that. So there's like I mean they go back and make six prequels in between what happens in six and seven. Yeah, I mean, uh, and and honestly, I mean, we are we're told that the thirty years have passed since the end of six to seven. So for Kylo Ren to have destroyed everything that Luke has taught him, I mean, you have to assume that probably the earliest Kylo could do this would be like what would be a sixteen-year-old boy, maybe. I mean, how how yeah. young do you think how young do you think Kylo could be to actually destroy everything? within this 30 years. And I mean, I'm assuming as we're introduced to Kylo, I mean, I I don't know exactly how old Adam driver, the actor is, but I'm assuming we're looking at like a mid 20 year old person. So it's like 30 years doesn't seem like it's enough time has passed uh, in between the two movies. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm processing what you're saying here in terms of your theories, because I, I went into this movie, movie completely spoiler free i hadn't seen any of the previews i was on like star wars media blackout for like a year so i didn't read any of the books or ancillary stuff that they've been adding over the past year when they decided to sort of like cancel all of star wars canon whatever a couple of years ago so what you're saying is is that some of these books have actually established more backstory that we were sort of missing in in the movie episode seven yeah. Yeah, and unfor- yeah. And unfortunately that's where the Pod Vader in me comes out once again is I don't feel this movie stands alone uh like the other six movies do. Like there's too much story that's missing that st- that doesn't make it complete. Uh you either have to see the next movie to fill in some of the blanks because I'm going to assume that the next movie is going to fill in some of the blanks or we know that we have a bunch of these one-off movies that they're producing in between uh, these major ones uh, that will also help fill in some of the blanks. Um, But that's one of my problems with this movie, unless you read the books like we have uh, and know some of that, what used to be Canon, you're left sort of, you know, dangling. Well, what what happened here? How'd this happen? What's going on? You're kind of left, you know, dumbstruck my hard and fast rule of like, look like the movies have, you know, an hour and 40 minutes to two hours and 20 minutes to tell you this massive story. They're never going to be as good as the books. Just get over it. They can't tell us everything and show us everything in every movie. I mean, think about like our minds would explode. I'm sure there were several people that passed away yesterday watching that movie that are no longer with us because their minds were blown away. And it's just, it's just not possible. Like just, enjoy what we saw and like be happy and know that they're never going to be as good because they don't have the ability to fill in all those blanks. So they don't have time. Our buddies are, are planning a rescue mission for Ray uh, who's on this new death star, but it's, it would be inappropriate to call it a death star. It's the star killer base, which is about a hundred times the size of the death star. Is, is that what we're led to believe? My favorite part of that was Han's line. So it's, it's basically bigger. <laughs> so Han Solo, it's, it's awesome. And like the going just back a little bit back is the Chewbacca and Han Solo thing. It's 
I mean, it's the ultimate bromance. I mean, like they've been tied at the hip in basically every single movie, and they're they're always together. And it's I can't wait for that whole story to be told too. It's a, it's a, I'm sure there's another whole twenty movies that could be made. The adventures of them and when they met and their adventures as smugglers and all that stuff. But yeah, the I mean, I mean, it is. It's just it's like Han said. It's basically just a giant Death Star. But it's uh, I thought it was cool and I like the you could see the basically the beam from other planets, like kind of like flying through the galaxy and like everyone can see it coming, but it's so powerful. Nothing can, you can do about it. There's no place to run kind of thing. So it's, it's the Death Star, but it's, it's basically 10 times more powerful, which is pretty amazing. There's also some great lines of dialogue between Leia and Han during the whole planning scene. It was great because Han was just like, we've been through this before, guys. This isn't that difficult to figure out. Um, and, and what's really interesting, the First Order hasn't learned from the mistakes of the past. And there's these key weakness points uh, that they keep building into these giant death machines. The best and worst villains all at the same time. I blame uh, charging the work to, uh, you know, they, they contract the work out, right? So maybe they went with the lowest bidder. Maybe they should pay up a little bit more this next time instead of, you know, cutting corners on things like uh, securing the main center of the thing that could blow up the whole planet, you know, just just an idea. Ray is being interrogated by Kylo Ren uh, and, and Kylo is is reading her mind. But as he's doing this, and thus where the title of the show really comes in, the force has awakened in her and she starts fighting back. And then she starts reading his mind. We learn that Kylo's biggest fear is that he will never be as powerful as his grandfather, Darth Vader. And that he's talking to that charred mask. They, they like kind of just one shot of Vader's charred mask. That was just like, oh man, this villain is just awesome. Like I really love the Kylo Ren character here. I also wonder, though, did he like go down to the Endor moon and like slaughter all the Ewoks to get that mask? Like, I wasn't sure where the mask came from exactly. So I sort of imagined in that moment, like some other backstory where the the poor Ewoks were, you know, vanquished from their uh, natural habitat. Boom, another movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, you. You got to wonder how far did Kylo go down the Anakin Skywalker well? Did he did he go back to Tatooine to visit his father's birth planet? Did he uh, uh, did he decide to uh, maybe go see his grandma's planet of Naboo uh, and maybe slaughter Jar Jar Binks or is Jar Jar Binks the <laughs> evil Sith Lord behind all of this? Um, who knows? Uh, uh, Ray fights back. First of all, she doesn't even know that she can control the force now all of a sudden she's starting to do jedi mind tricks like what if i had any gripes about the the new film that was one that was a little weird to me that she sort of like picked up on the force so quickly after we saw luke skywalker go through this crazy rigorous training with yoda and be sort of like reckless and not be able to control it suddenly she was like this badass like i love her character like don't get me wrong but holy cow she went from like zero to 60 in like five minutes it was it was kind of wild I was just saying, I know there is uh, a part in that series of books, the Rogue books, about there's a, a reasoning of why, and this goes back to what you said, Pod, I do believe that, you know, her and Ren are our twin brother and sister and why they're more powerful. So she, I mean, if you think that he is like this unbelievable Jedi, she's on the same level as him. She just doesn't, at the start of the movie, she has no idea that she's a Jedi and 
She has midichlorian. She doesn't know any of that. She's just a scavenger trying to, you know, get, you know, scavenge stuff to, to eat or whatever. And that kind of is like the first time it dawns on her is when she grabs the lightsaber in the basement of the bar. And then, it, you know, things start that up. And I don't know if it's good or bad that she goes from like not knowing to like completely, you know, doing a mind trick. But I mean, he's a, he's a stormtrooper. I mean, he's guarding a door. That's his, his life is he guards that door. I mean, he's not, he's not the most intelligent guy. I mean, we we can let that one slide. I feel. That's the rumor is that that stormtrooper is played by Daniel Craig. Oh, that's awesome. See, my problem isn't so much that she has the power to do it. My problem is that she even has any sort of knowledge that she could do it. There was a scene earlier where where she's talking with Han Solo, and Han Solo says, "You know, the Jedi, the Force, it's true, all of it." Um, despite her saying that she thought Luke Skywalker was a myth. And again, how you go from a real entity to a myth in 30 years seems a little odd, but um, maybe, I guess. I love that moment for Han Solo, by the way. Like him being the first trilogy is just like, so like, nah, there's no all powerful force. There's nothing like a good blaster at your side. And then in this one, it's like, wow, he's like really come around and wisened up in his old age and, I think that's a really solid moment of character growth for Han Solo. That's a, that's a big deal right there. So our heroes ultimately find each other. Uh, It's funny again. uh, Finn says that uh, before he became a stormtrooper, he was a sanitation worker. Uh, So he knows all the back entrances to, to this base. And we have another one of those uh, flashbacks to return of the Jedi is Han and, and Chewbacca storm the, the shield generator. Uh, but then here's where uh, we have our penultimate moment. Uh, Han confronts Kylo Ren out on this long walkway over what appears to be an endless pit. What is it with the with with this galaxy creating these giant pits with really small, narrow walkways on them? Uh, that that seems to be a little uh, misconstrued as well. What is the purpose of having such a long bridge over a, over a giant pit? <laughs> I think it goes back Abandoning to the Abandoning children in, in, the, in the skinny walkways. It's a real thing that they got to start working on. <laughs> exactly. It really is. That's also where we learn uh, Kylo Ren's real name is Ben Solo. Clearly Ben, uh, a throwback to Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ben Kenobi. But I also thought that's odd because what connection other than Leia, you know, calling out for uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi to, uh, as her only hope? I mean, what other connection did she have to Ben Kenobi? She didn't. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's yeah. a fair point. I mean, in, in the books, isn't Luke's kid named Ben and not Leia's kid? So, you know, getting rid of canon, but then introducing something that's similar to canon was a little bit odd there. But, you know, it's still like a, a nice moment where Han is trying to reconnect with his son. Like, I thought it played really well. I thought the acting was really amazing in that moment. They have a real way of, you know, picking good names, you know, like. Mm. They they're the master. Anakin is is not a good bad guy name. You know? okay. <laughs> no, you're now now you're you have you're you know you come to the dark side. You're now Darth Vader, like the greatest name of all time. <laughs> Hi, I'm I'm Ben Skywalker. Nope, that's not gonna work. <laughs> now you're Kylo Ren. I, uh, for sure. The so four, if I ever have kids, they're naming my child. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> So we we have the moment. Uh, 
uh, Chewbacca's watching, uh, Finn and Ray are watching, uh, Han goes up to Kylo, and we've seen moments in Kylo uh, previous to, to this where he's struggling between the light side and the dark side, and uh, even his new supreme leader who, you know, has control over him uh, is saying, are you sure that you can deal with this? You're sure you can fight off the light side of the force. And, and Kylo says, he's sure, he's sure. But he has this moment with, with his father and he's like, I, I, I'm so torn apart. I need you to help me. And, and you should know that it's coming. But for even me, it was a surprise as Kylo turns on the lightsaber and kills Han Solo. It was another one of those just holy moments uh that that only star wars provides and eric since you you let that spoiler out at the beginning of the of this interview talk to me about that moment for you yeah i mean i I mean i know that it's coming and i don't know exactly if they're gonna follow how they you know it happens in the book and, and, and you know and stuff like that but i know that it's coming but it's still like it's massively crafted moment of you know his best friend watching you know his kind of new apprentice that he offers a job to and you know the two kind of new heroes in the story are are also on looking and it's this really tense moment of you know can they do it you know can they stop this bow star from smashing this planet and, and destroying the resistance and then there's i mean the ultimate moment of the son killing his father, which is Han Solo, maybe the most beloved Star Wars character, or one of the most beloved Star Wars characters of all time. It's awesome. And I definitely heard adults crying in the theater. It's dark. I didn't really look around, but I could hear there's a lot of sniffling going on, which I thought is awesome. I didn't cry. I was too excited. This is, I mean, this is ridiculous, this moment here. I mean, it was really well executed. I totally agree with Eric on that. Um, Han Solo is my favorite fictional character of all time. Like, I'm not exaggerating. Like, I love Han Solo. And so for this to happen, like, I feel like, I feel like Star Wars fans everywhere need to have like a funeral for Han Solo or something. Like, I need to, a place to grieve. Like, this is, it's terrible. Like, I, I, I mean, I get it from a storytelling standpoint and I'm, I'm not saying I necessarily like dislike where they're taking the story but it's a freaking punch in the face like oh like i'm still like thinking about it this morning it's 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 huge it's really well done uh the wookie goes crazy starts killing a bunch of stormtroopers we follow finn and ray as they are trying to escape and get back to the millennium falcon but lo and behold kylo ren somehow magically has gotten out of the base kylo first takes out Ray and he has a sword fight battle with Finn. Now Finn gives it a go, but uh, ultimately he's no match. And Ray, of course, comes back comes back to consciousness, and she gets all mad. And of course, she has no clue how to use a lightsaber. The only advantage was that Chewie did get a shot in on Kylo. Uh, so Kylo's dealing with a with a mortal wound of his own. Uh, while also trying to lightsaber battle. I thought I thought that was also well done, showing how inexperienced she was compared to how experienced Kylo was with the lightsaber. Sith Lords, um, I, they practice the same kind of medicine that I do, where they punch themselves in their injuries, and that's the only way that you can, you can heal it. He does that uh, several times where he's <laughs> kind of like punching and slapping his wound in his stomach, and I was like, I've done that before. It doesn't work. 
it's still it's an, it's an unproven science at this point, but I'm I'm working my way through it. I really like the mortal wound thing, sort of evening the stakes between these two fighters. Like, I wouldn't have bought it if she, you know, totally destroyed him and he was not wounded. But because he was wounded, I sort of bought it here. And I was like, oh, man, this is. Yeah, I, I and I'm glad they don't end up killing off the villain. Like, that was a huge mistake in yeah. episode one to kill off Darth yeah. Maul. I was so thankful yeah. that they didn't create this amazing villain and then just kill him at the end of the, you know, the first, you know, new release. So that. Thankful we'll see him again. That's going to be awesome. They escape along with the rest of the resistance back to uh, the base. Uh, everyone's off cheering and Ray and Leia are by themselves uh, in an embrace uh, as they are uh, clearly mourning the passing of Han Solo. Uh, the Wookiee is left to mourn by himself, which I also thought was a little <laughs> odd. Um, poor, poor Chewbacca. always gets the shot now. Uh, I mean, who is Chewie going to hang out with now? He's going to be stuck with the droids? I mean... uh, Lando. They need to bring back Lando. (laughs) Yeah, bring back Lando and his mustache. Yes. Yes. (laughs) There was no mention of Lando here. Chewie's going to hook up with Rey, and Chewie and Rey are off to go find Luke Skywalker. And and that is, unfortunately, how the movie ends. Uh, Rey... Uh, reaches Luke Skywalker and uh, Mark Hamill literally has zero lines of dialogue in this movie. He just stares at Ray holding out his lightsaber. Probably the most frustrating part of the movie. I would have much rather it ended with Ray and Chewie uh, launching off the Millennium Falcon. I, I didn't need them to go all the way to Luke Skywalker. That's totally a J.J. Abrams thing though, right? All right. That's, that's totally J.J. Yeah. Abrams. He writes like a one hour episode and then he writes the first five minutes of the next episode and just sort of like tacks that on to the end of the previous episode. That's just like, it's very him. So like, I wasn't surprised, but yeah, it's like, come on, we want more. Start the countdown clock until they release the next movie. I'm ready to go now. I'm, I'm ready too, but we got to wait two years, I believe uh, for episode eight, uh, which has not been titled, but filming has commenced. Uh, or at least pre-production. Something has started already on episode eight, but uh, uh, in between we'll get to see Rogue One, uh, which is the story of the um, of the rebels who got the plans to the original Death Star. Uh, so uh, that that's what we have to look forward to before episode eight, and that comes out, uh, I believe, the winter of next year. So uh, one more thing to further my... Um, Finn is not going to be a romantic relationship with Ray because uh, they're actually cousins is uh, we had that one big mistake in empire where Leia like goes full on, you know, kiss on the mouth, probably a little extra uh, with Luke as he's recovering on the planet Hoth, uh, which is just sort of awkward yeah. to watch, especially as Luke like leans back with his arms crossed behind his head. Like, yeah, I did. Like, dude, you just kissed your sister. <laughs> So we avoid any of that in this movie. There's a lot of hugging. And and before she leaves on her search for Luke, she kisses him on the forehead and says, we'll meet again. Uh, but she doesn't like give him that sort of like the sleeping beauty in reverse moment. So I thought that was also interesting to note. My, my question, though, is, is that obvious without knowing any of this? Like, are people who haven't read these books going to be able to, to follow along with that? What do you think? 
Yeah, I think that it's just it's enough with Ray to know that because she's strong in the force, she has some sort of relationship with uh, either Leia or Luke. And I think that's enough to just know that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's important. Well, you know what exactly the relationship is. They're, they'll need to describe it in the next movie, but I don't think it's confusing to the point where the audience is like, "Wait a minute, what's going on?" Like, I, th- I think they get it. They just were missing pieces here that I look forward to finding out in episode eight. This new movie was pretty awesome. Where would you rank it amongst the other movies that we've seen? Well, let's see. I'm I'm in the rare camp. I know most people like Empire the most. I actually like episode four the most. So I would go four is the favorite. Then five, then six, then seven, and then three, two, one. But seven is really close to Jedi for me. I I need a little distance from it. It may be as good or better than Jedi, but right now I would say it's close just behind Jedi as the fourth best film. Four is my favorite, and I think I would put seven as my second favorite. Wow. I, I famously, a couple of weeks ago, as my brother-in-law put it, committed social media suicide uh, by posting yep. after after rewatching all the movies. Uh, I posted that A New Hope, number four, is the worst of all of the movies. Yeah, I couldn't disagree with you more about the episode one, two, and three being even in the same league as any of the other four. Like, it's... The dialogue is just, I can't handle the dialogue. The action stuff I can handle for the most part. Um, the Darth Maul stuff I like in episode one. I I actually think uh, Revenge of the Sith is right up there uh, with, the, with the tops. And I would put it pretty close to Return of the Jedi. Uh, they're almost equal. Um, I think the story of Anakin actually turning into Darth Vader uh, is is pretty cool. Now, his reasoning for becoming Darth Vader is a little weak. I think it's an awesome reason. It's like another reason why Star Wars is awesome because underneath this amazing sci-fi kind of like action, all this cool stuff, there's this very like strong love story. So yeah, Anakin loves Padme. In a weird way, it's almost heroic because he doesn't want to do it, but it's like, I don't think it's selfish at all. I think it's the complete opposite of selfish. It's selfless because he doesn't want to turn to the dark side, but it's the only way he believes. And I think, you know, they show is the only way that he can keep the person he loves the most alive. So he does it. It's a, it's a tragedy. You mean it's, I mean, it's not Romeo and Juliet, but it's, you know, <laughs> it's a space Romeo and Juliet. If you're asking me, the, the story of Anakin turning into Darth is pretty cool. Well, gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Uh, for the people listening to this podcast, uh, we actually recorded quite a bit of material here uh, that you don't get to hear. Sorry. Um, but this has been a phenomenal conversation. Uh, Eric Young, uh, TNA professional wrestler, where can people find you? Um, you know, what, what are some of the things you're up to? Yeah, it's uh, at the Eric Young on Twitter. Um, I, uh, right now, we're, uh, the show's air Wednesday night. Um, eight or eight o'clock Eastern. It's uh, on Destination America, which is in the Discovery family. But we're moving to a brand new home, uh, Pop TV, which is a huge step up for us. Uh, January fifth, we're going to be live. That's Tuesday night at uh, nine Eastern, eight Central. Um, every week, yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, crazy to think, but I've been on uh, I've been on TV every uh, every week for 
10 years. So it's, it's a pretty, pretty wild ride. And, uh, still, still, still riding that wave, man. So you can check me out there. And, uh, I mean, if you ever see us in your town or, or anything, come by live pro wrestling is the best thing. Even if you're not a fan, I promise you, you will have a good time. And Austin Lee, uh, you're at Austin NFL. Where, where else can people find you? Well, uh, I'm uh, sometimes work a little bit with Matthew Barry over at fantasymovieleague.com. That's the uh, fantasy movie site that him and some other folks founded uh, not that long ago. So try that out, uh, fantasymovieleague.com. I'm also a fantasy football uh, analyst. I work at uh, footballguys.com. So go uh, check out articles. I'm in a couple of weekly podcasts. I'm big into daily fantasy sports. So if you're looking for fantasy football advice, uh, you can find me over there or hit me up on Twitter at Austin NFL. Awesome. You know, I think it's going to be one of my dreams, Eric, to uh, to take a bump from you. No. It could always be arranged. <laughs> uh, I think I'm good with just with just talking to you about Star Wars. Gentlemen, it's been uh, it's been great. Thanks a lot for joining me today. Thanks, Thanks for having me on, man. It's been a pleasure nerding out about Star Wars with you guys. You don't know the power of the dark side. All right, so that's the fan perspective of uh, this giant movie saga. Now I'm bringing in two uh, big movie critics here to join us uh, to give us sort of the critical side of the movie. And you heard a little bit of that about that uh, when I talked with Eric and Austin. Uh, but let me introduce uh, my next two guests. Uh, first up, I have Joanna Langfield. She's syndicated uh, across the world on the Movie Minute. You can hear her show at movieminute.com. And of course, her podcast is available, The Movie Minute, on Blog Talk Radio, and you can subscribe on iTunes. Hello, Joanna. Thanks for joining us. Us today. Hello. Well, thank you. This is fun. Yes, I, I am. I'm really excited to talk to you and also our other movie critic here. Uh, that is Neil Rosen. Uh, he is a movie critic for New York One in New York, and you can watch him nationally on Time Warner Cable. Uh, his podcast is Sitting Around Talking Movies, and you can hear that also on Blog Talk Radio and subscribe on iTunes. Neil, hi there. Welcome to the show. How you doing? And also, you can watch my TV show, uh, Talking Pictures on Demand, which is also on New York One and Time Warner Cable. So, uh, just thought I'd throw that in too. So, uh, perfect. First of all, I, I I will start by asking. So, what did you think? What did you think of the movie, Neil? I liked the movie. I certainly liked it a lot better than the um, last three prequels, which I thought were overly serious and, quite frankly, boring. Um, and uh, this returns to at least the fun spirit of the first couple of them, you know, uh, at Chapter 4 and Chapter 5, uh, which were the first two Star Wars movies that were made. Um, there's a fun spirit in those that was missing from the prequels, and I, it's evident here. Um, this movie, uh, which was George Lucas, as you know, is out, and they brought J.J. Abrams in, and J.J. Abrams, who co-wrote the script, wisely co-wrote it with Lawrence Kasdan, who uh, co-wrote what I think is the best episode of the series, which is The Empire Strikes Back. So, they, so you have uh, Kasdan's hand and imprint on um, A Force Awakens, this movie. And, and that's nice because it's kind of a throwback to where the series was really great. Um, 
you know, it seems to me that J.J. Abrams, I mean, I, I really like the film. I think that it's got, you know, great special effects and the action sequences are excellent. And, um, you know, there's good doses of humor and suspense and drama all along the way. And it's an entertaining ride. It's not particularly original. It's kind of like J.J. Abrams took a giant, you know, chalkboard and, you know, it was like Star Wars greatest hits. It was like, let's check off all the boxes. It's like, okay, um, Harrison Ford, people like when he makes all those little clever quips. Let's do some of that. Or, you know, in that first one, Luke Skywalker rides the crevice of the Death Star. Let's put a scene in like that, you know, or let's get C-3PO to, like, do something that's kind of amusing, and there's that. So it seems like he's just doing the greatest hits of Star Wars. But originality aside, I enjoyed the movie very much. I, I think it's... Uh, the, the best out of all the six Star Wars, I put it at number three, being Empire number one, uh, A New Hope, which is the very first one, number two, and I put this at number three. Uh, you brought up two points that I'm definitely going to come back to. Uh, so put a flag in both those thoughts that uh, that you just brought up, and that's the <laughs> ranking of the movies sure. and and the greatest hits uh, of Star Wars with this movie. Joanna, what did you think of the movie? Well, I think Neil and I are kind of coming from the same place. You know, when you look at these things and you you realize that the fan base is just so, so overwhelming. And that's showing up, obviously, at the box office. And, and when you're talking to your fanboys and online and all of that, and there's such enthusiasm, to go against the grain would have been really, frankly, kind of dumb. You know, you don't want to reinvent the wheel here. And J.J. Abrams did not reinvent the wheel. He did, however, I love Lawrence Kasdan. And the fact that he brought him back, I thought, was really a smart idea. He also brought in another writer. And this guy hasn't been getting quite the press that the two other writers have been getting. His name is Michael Arndt. And he also wrote uh, Catching Fire, the Hunger Games one. He did a fabulous little movie called Little Miss Sunshine. That was back in 2006. And Toy Story 3, my favorite. Toy Story 3, which is the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know what? The other thing is about Toy Story 3, which I think shows up here, there were moments of really scary, I don't want to say terror, but there, there were moments that I was on the edge of my seat in this thing, and he brings that into this Star Wars too. Um, now, all of that fabulous stuff being said, I think the movie, as I said, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it recreates a very solid wheel. And that's for this particular episode, because you know we got more coming. I think it's fine. They're setting it all up for us. I loved Daisy Ridley. I loved John Boyega. And I could watch Oscar Isaac doing anything. And he looked to me, of all of the movies that we've seen Oscar in, he looked to me like he was just having the best time making this particular movie. I think it is what it is. Some of it works better than others. I thought it once the first half seemed to be very much in the wheelhouse. And then the second half, they kind of went, all right, now that we've done that, let's do this. And it got a little more interesting and a little more engaging for me. Um, I don't think it's the best movie of the year, but I think it is a wonderful release of the year in that people are so happy to see it. They're showing up at movie theaters, which frankly hasn't been happening a whole lot in the past number of years. And it's kind of giving a whole new surge of life, not just to Star Wars in general, but to the industry. 
Do you think that Daisy Ridley and John Boyega um, were well cast? Because I think they're very well cast. I think they, they add so much to the to the proceedings. I, I mean, they're new characters. Whenever you introduce new characters, people always, you know, find some. But I, I, I think that they were terrific. And I agree with you that um, I think Oscar Isaac was amazing in this. I mean, here he's playing like, he, he reminded me of a young Han Solo. And he's, uh, you know, in fighter. I think that's the point. Yeah. Great. He's great. Yeah. They're really wonderfully cast. And, you know, when you look at the body of their work, it's not that much. They're very young and they're not bringing maybe the legend that Oscar Isaac is a little bit older, um, you know, and he might've felt more on his shoulders than these two. And they just kind of do it. And they're their own characters and their own energy. And I think, they're going to be just super for the next God knows how many of these that we're going to be getting. And I couldn't help but as I was watching this Star Wars, compare it to Creed, because they're both taking really just like huge franchises and kind of reinventing them. I think Creed was a much more interesting reworking. But if you look at Creed, and again, I'm not saying it's not an enjoyable movie. It, It certainly is an enjoyable movie. But it really is the same formula as the original Rocky movie. I mean, Rocky's playing Mickey, the Burgess Meredith character, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is Rocky. Even the outcome of the fight is the same, you know, trajectory as the first Rocky It's Rocky uh, movie fight. Right. It's the same right. movie, really. It's just putting a different character into the Rocky role and Rocky sliding over to be the trainer role, you know, so. You know what? Watch it again. And the more I watch that movie, the more I see the subtle contemporizing of that. And in this movie, you really can't do that. It's not their fault. It's just, it's a different approach. God knows everybody's going to be thrilled. And I, you know, when you talk about awards and stuff, um, I don't know how the Academy is going to take a look at Star Wars. I don't know, but everybody behind the scenes and and anybody who cares about the future of certainly the theatrical part of this business is going to be just rooting for this movie. Jay, are you still there? <laughs> I am. You know, it's we didn't funny. mean to leave you out. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You put two critics on a podcast and they'll talk. Who knew? I do have a question for you all, including you, Jay, even though it's your show, is that you see what happened is, is they didn't screen Star Wars for critics mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. until this, the Tuesday of this past week. It was one screening in New York at 8 o'clock at night, and it was pretty much after all the critics um, had voted. Like the Golden Globe nominations were out already. The Critics' Choice nominations were out. The L.A. Film Critics, the New York Film Critics, the National Board of Review, all those groups of critics had come out with their uh, awards nominations for awards or 10 best lists and star wars had not been screened for them and i'm wondering if star wars was screened let's say a month ago like all those other movies that wound up on those lists had been do you think that star wars would have been nominated in any of those other groups jay you want to start first well i mean you know you know the business a little bit better than i do i i don't suspect to see star wars on any of the best acting categories or best picture categories, you know, I suspect to see it where we normally see these types of movies in the best special effects, the best costumes, um, you know, cinematography. I think that's sort of where 
uh, you know, all the technical awards, I suspect that's where we're going to see this movie as we usually see it. And honestly, um, you know, my my view of the way that the industry works is most of the movie companies are looking at the awards to sort of help promote and sell and make more money from people who haven't seen those movies yet. And honestly, I don't know a single person who's not going to see this movie already anyway. This is a very emotional word to use, but you and I and and a lot of other people really care a lot about this. And we spend a lot of time analyzing and thinking and, you know, before we cast our votes and write our top 10 lists and everything. And I'm, I think it's a travesty what they did. I really think it's a travesty. I think the fact that even if they were nervous about the reviews, they say it was because they didn't want the word getting out. I mean, come on, you know, we're I think it was about, I think it was about piracy. I, I, well, please, we are professionals. Don't do that. What happened is that all of the people who worked on that film were denied the opportunity to get a little pat on the back from somebody. And I don't think that that's treating your talent with respect. I don't think that that's treating the franchise with respect. I don't understand it. It was only a couple of days. For instance, Neil and I are both, uh, Jay, in the, uh, we vote on the Critics' Choice Awards. There is a category that we have, Best Actress in an Action Movie. I mean, hello. Yeah, she'd be a lot. Would have won that thing. Yeah, she'd be a lot. Is it going to change her life? Not really, but it's a nice thing to have. And it, it, she's 23 years old. Wouldn't that have made her feel good? Here's some yeah. ideas. Okay, A, it could be piracy. B, um, it is such a highly anticipated film. It will probably go on to be, there's a very good chance, we don't know at this point, that it might be the highest grossing film of all time. It might be Avatar. Who knows? But if, if even if it doesn't, it's going to come close. You know, it's going to be certainly in the top two or three. Um, they don't really need critics. It's critics pr- critic proof. They don't really need critics to see it. Uh, maybe they were. I mean, we, I'm not going to reveal what, um, you know, there's a couple of major spoilers in here. I'm not going to reveal what they are, but maybe they just didn't. And, and if you know what they are, it really would, um, uh, I don't know, take away from your enjoyment of the film. And even though we are professionals, you know, there are people that are not maybe as professional as you and I, Joanna, that might, I mean, all you have to say <laughs> is three words on one of the spoilers, you know, and boom, it, it's like Rosebud is a sled, you know what I mean? I have to say, credit to the movie, those spoilers were kind of my favorite part. <laughs> I mean, they're yeah, pretty they good. Cool. Yeah, it was good. It was yeah. Good. It's nice to be able to endorse it and get behind it and encourage people. Maybe if they go once, maybe they should go again and see it, you know, whatever. Um, I'm surprised, frankly, that they showed it at all to critics, considering what was going on a number of weeks beforehand. You mentioned about going to see the movie again. This is probably, for me, I'm 41 years old. This is probably the first movie that I want to go and see again in the theater uh, since I was a kid, since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a good 20 years uh, that a movie has come out that I've been this excited about. Let's come back to the playing the uh, the biggest hits of Star Wars, because I did think there was a lot of that in this movie. Uh, and of course, J.J. Abrams being, you know, the, the guy that he is. And, and we even get a little bit of that, like, acknowledgement in the movie. Han Solo at one point says, this isn't something we haven't seen before. 
Um, so <laughs> it, it, it is, it, it, it's sort of like they kind of, they knew they were giving us the greatest hits and then they acknowledged that they were giving us the greatest hits. So my question is, as they make more movies after this one, that's where their concern is, is how do they keep the saga moving forward? Well, I think they set it up. Um, you know, at the end of the movie, which, of course, we're not going to give away, there are people going off to do things that we know where they're going. And we can, there's one sort of dangling participle there, which I think a lot of people are going to walk out going, huh, and try to figure out. So we're engaged in where they're going also. I think that's a very smart and savvy way of getting us all hooked in to this process. Um, and, you know, maybe we shouldn't say that they're just sort of recharging a lot of stuff there. Maybe we should say there's a sentimentality that they're acknowledging there. Because if you walked into this particular start of this trilogy or whatever it's going to be, um, and you didn't feel those things, you might feel cheated. Um, we, we care about these characters. We care about the story. We've all grown up on it. And I think it was appropriate that they did what they did to an extent. I think maybe they did a little much. Maybe they were a little nervous about it. But as it went on, as I said earlier, I felt that they kind of went, okay, we've done that. Now we can go here. And when they went here, I was going with them. I was having a good time. I think you might want to look at the Star Trek reboots to get a clue as to where it's going. The first, which mm. is also J.J. Abrams. So we took the Star Trek franchise and sort of reinvented it, uh, rebooted it in the first movie. And I thought the first movie was great and yeah, for a reboot. And then I thought the second movie was not good at all. I thought it was not even a Star Trek film. It was an action film. And the trailer for the third one, I haven't seen the movie yet, but the trailer looks like it's just in the same league as the second one, which is pretty bad. So I hope that the Star Wars, the second Star Wars film, which is also by the same guy who did the Star Trek, new Star Trek franchise, doesn't fall down that same, go down that same road and degenerate into, you know, just some kind of action thing. But because it's Star Wars, um, I got a feeling it's not going to do that. As Joanna just said, they set up, and I'm not going to say what they did, they set up the stage really beautifully for a sequel. You know, the cast is good. We know that. We like the new actors. You know that J.J. Abrams can handle the technical aspects and the special effects, the CGI. It all comes down to the writing. You know, so who's going to write the screenplay? If you get the same writers, you get back Lawrence Kasdan and you get Michael Arndt, or you get some other screenwriters who really have an affinity for the series and know what they're doing and could move you emotionally like this Michael Hart as Joanna and I said moved us and made us cry in Toy Story 3 you gotta get, get a good script in there and I think you get a good movie but it, it, it you gotta start with a good script first so I don't know who's writing it and you know uh, if you get good script writers you'll get a good movie because I, I mean I think he's a capable director if he gets a good script he can make a good movie you get a boring script uh, you're sunk screenwriters are the great underappreciated heroes of all entertainment, um, whether it you know be on television or, or even maybe a podcast, who knows? Um, <laughs> you have to start with good material. The second trilogy, let's be honest, 
It was boring. It bored me to death. Right. Overly serious. And it had all the bells and whistles. Right. It had the the plot points. It had the standard Star Wars stuff. They made those references, too. But they made mistakes like Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, well, everybody goes to Jar Jar Binks, and that that was bad. But the whole thing was bad. All three movies just bored me to tears. I was just sitting there going like, (laughs) I don't care what's going on on the screen. I just don't care, you know? And this one... I was having fun. I was enjoying it. I got goosebumps when I saw, you know, chills when I saw Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher back on the screen again, or Harrison Ford in the Millennium Falcon with with, with Chewbacca. I'm like, yeah, this is great. You know, it's fun. Can I just I, say Harrison something? Harrison on a big screen in 40 years, you know? I'm, well, I love Harrison Ford. And I also would like to put out a yay, yay, yay for Carrie Fisher, who had the, whatever it is, because girls don't have cojones, um, to get on the screen and not try to make herself look like Daisy Ridley. She looks like an older woman. And bravo, baby. She's also been my most favorite part of this whole press tour that they did because she was so hilarious. Yeah, she's very funny. She's actually very open and funny about, like, experiences. She said she always has been. They asked her what advice she had for uh, the new cast members, and she goes, well, don't go through the cast like I did, you know? In other words, implying that she was, like, having relations with a lot of the cast members. Well, and I was going to mention... How are you doing uh, on your podcast, Jay? (laughs) I'm enjoying it. Uh, I was going to mention a couple weeks ago, uh, my brother-in-law said I committed social media suicide by declaring A New Hope is the worst of all of the movies. Uh, I recently rewatched all the movies leading up to uh, episode seven. And as I was watching them and taking them as individual films in the year 2015, which is another point about this movie that I want to make each movie stands on. It can stand on its own. You don't need to watch any of the other movies. I don't feel that way with this particular movie. I feel like with this one, you either have to have watched the previous ones or you have to watch the next movie coming out to get the complete story. The story doesn't have a beginning, middle, and end uh, in this episode, uh, whereas I feel all the other ones did. Uh, and honestly, I feel it's the final scene, Joanna, that you brought up where they could have ended it before that final scene, and I would have been a little bit more happy. I would have been, uh, I would have been more satisfied with an ending than I was left uh, with this particular movie. Uh, which puts it down in my rankings, uh, but not all the way down to where I have a new hope, which is at, uh, which is at the end. And that's because as I watched a new hope in 2015, I don't feel it holds up. Now that's taking it completely out of context. Obviously in 1977, what it spawned, what it has spawned, it's obviously created the saga. It it gives it a little bit more uh, gravitas than the, the first mm-hmm. three movies but as an individual movie i felt that uh the acting is actually not that great the story i felt actually was a little choppy and uh a lot got left uh, i felt on the cutting room floor and uh the action scenes uh in a new hope are not as well done now conversely i have empire strikes back as not only the best movie of this series but perhaps the greatest movie of all time uh, and mm. but that's of course the fanboy speaking. Well, <laughs> the, but, I think you but, have to give credit to the first movie. First of all, uh, the way I, I rank, I, I don't think The Empire Strikes Back is the greatest movie of all time on, on any level. But 
I do think it's <laughs> I think it's the best of the Star Wars films. I think and and again going back to the conversation that Joanna and I were just having, I think that goes back to the script. I think the script is really the story is just really engaging, and I just really I I just love that movie. Um, also, on the first movie, uh, George Lucas didn't have the, the, you know, that movie wanted to make so much money, the first movie, that finally by the second movie, he had the budget to do whatever he wanted to do. So if you complain about the, you look at the first movie in context of with the budget that he had to work with and what he pulled off with that mm-hmm. financial constraint, and you have to, you know, it, it's very admirable what he did in the first movie. He also created the whole universe in that first movie. You know, in the second movie, as good as it is in The Empire Strikes Back, he already created the characters. I mean, he had something to work off of. The first movie, you're in, you know, that creates the whole world, you know? There's, there was no... You, know, you go into the second movie, okay, where do we put Luke Skywalker now? Where do we put Han Solo now? Where do we put Princess Leia now? First one, these characters don't exist, so it's just the beginning, so you got to give this first movie credit on that level and kind of forgive a little bit. Maybe the special effects don't look as good as the second one. You didn't really have the money, you know? You look at the money that he had to do the first one and what he was able to achieve, I think that's remarkable, you know, and you got to look you know, at it. You know, I, I agree way. with you. Yeah, I agree with you, Neil. I think that we're really talking apples and oranges in a way. I hold, and I hope everybody does, a special place for people who really put their own money where their mouth is and who go and make these movies for nothing with not a lot of studio support. And we've seen what happens sometimes when the studios get too involved and there's too much money spent. Things just turn out yucky and you need an integrity there. And certainly I think the first three of the, of the Star Wars movies work very, very well. The second three, eh. You know, I think it shows in the final product. No, I don't think anybody was really satisfied with those prequels. I don't know many, I don't know anybody who says like, I love chapter one, two, three, Star Wars. I've yet to find something that's happened. Well, I think Revenge of the Sith is actually a, a, a pretty good one. Watching the transformation of Anakin Skywalker into Darth Vader is pretty intriguing and captivating. Oh, all of those three movies have moments. Don't get me wrong. I, I really hated the, the, the chapter one. That one I don't think really has any moments. But no, there are some moments in, in, in a couple of them that like, but that's the problem with them. Unlike the new movie, Force Awakens, which is just an entertaining ride from start to finish, the other one's just have moments it's like yeah that's a good scene and then and then it bores me for the next 25 minutes and then maybe there's another moment mm-hmm. or two that i'm like oh, okay um yeah. can i just throw in something else though you guys are going on and on about all these particulars and everything which i think feeds into the traditional thought that for the most part not all for the most part people assume that star wars is a boy movie and not anymore I you go, not with the new, not, not with daisy not anymore that's right. They were very smart. And of course, Daisy's part was originally written for a guy and they changed it. They got bright, bright idea and went, let's not do that. And they found Daisy, who just is fabulous in it. And I think they did a great, great service to the whole franchise by saying you don't have to leave your daughter's home. Now, I will tell you that I went because my husband couldn't see the movie. So I went to a real people screening of it with him also. And first of all, it was, it made me a little nervous how quiet it was in the theater. I was hoping for a lot of like <laughs> screaming and yelling and stuff like that. And there wasn't, there were a lot of fathers and sons. I don't know that they had daughters, 
but I didn't see a lot of young girls there. And I think they're missing an opportunity. Well, I think that'll change now. And I'm, I think that I'm, I'm really glad that they've given this positive role model image to in, in women empowerment. Yay. Seriously. It's like, uh, right. I'm thrilled that the, that the, the heroine of the movie, the, the action star of the movie is a woman. I, I love that. You know what I mean? It's uh, absolutely not gender specific. And I, and I like that. You know what I mean? Like the only woman really in the first one was uh, Princess Leia. <laughs> so, Neil, where can, uh, where can people find you again? All right. Well, um, I do a weekly roundtable critic show called Talking Pictures on Demand. And that airs on New York One locally in New York City and on Time Warner Cable. If you have Time Warner Cable anywhere in the country, you could watch it. You could also go to uh, ny1.com and just type in talking pictures uh, on the web and watch the show. And it's also available on demand. That show, by the way, there's 300 movies on demand in your cable box at any given time if you are a cable subscriber. And most people just are familiar with five or six titles. Oh, Twilight. Oh, Harry Potter. Oh, uh... Avatar, okay, you know, but there are hundreds of movies in there where they just don't know. In, a lot of them are independent films, and they're great little songs that are in there, and they're great actors, known actors, and nobody knows what these titles are. So each week, me and a panel of critics tell you what's worth watching on demand and what's not. Um, and that's where you can find that. And then, of course, there's the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, which is a similar format. It's kind of an after show to that TV show. It's called Sitting Around Talking Movies, and it's a more in-depth discussion on the movies we talked about on the television show. And You can go to Sitting Around Talking Movies slash Neil Rosen, or you can go to Blog Talk Radio and find it there, and it's on iTunes. Excellent, and I believe your latest episode featured a couple of interviews with Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, if I'm not mistaken. Go listen mistaken. to the latest episode. It's pretty much all Star Wars, and we have interviews with Harrison Ford, with Carrie Fisher, and with Daisy Ridley. So you could hear their take and Joanna, I know you've spoken to a lot of those actors as well. Where can people uh, tune yeah. into you? Well, I have all sorts of variations on the theme here. Um, the live stuff that I do, uh, hopefully you guys can find me. I do a lot of live radio and some television um, and some cable uh, around. And some of them are regular and some of them are not. But um, I hope you'll find me there. You can always find me, of course, on the pre-recorded show that I do, which is a little more consumer friendly, maybe, uh, because it's called the Movie Minute for a reason. It's 60 seconds. And it's I heard you talking about that, Jay. How did she do 60 seconds? (laughs) Well, sometimes I'm a little short and we have to do it again. And sometimes I run over and we have to do it again. But we do get it to 60 seconds. So you can basically, I try to put as much information in there as possible. um, So you can make a quick but informed choice about the movies that you want to go see. You can also find me online. All of my reviews are on themovieminute.com. And I hope you'll engage with me on Twitter and Facebook, because that's a lot of fun to talk to people that way, too. And the best one of all, of course, is that the Movie Minute is on Blog Talk Radio. And I hope that you will come and listen there. And you can, of course, subscribe to the feed on all of the varying things that we have out there, including iTunes. And you are at Joanna Langfield on Twitter. Neil, you are at Neil Rosen Apples on Twitter. Uh, so people can follow you uh, on the Twitters as well. Thank you both for joining me. It, uh, it was a great conversation. A lot of fun. Always Thank fun you. talking to you, Jay. Always fun. I know Joanna for 30 years, so it's always fun. That's true. <laughs> 
spoken to over you, Joanna. Um, we could do our this, own this thing. Time like... on, this time on mic as opposed to just uh, at a social function so, or at a screen. There you go. There you go. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll speak to you soon. Enjoy Star yeah. Wars, everybody. That was pretty awesome. I am your father. Okay, 10 out of 10. You know, when I originally thought of this concept for this show, I wanted to include a third segment with my 12-year-old son. Turns out, Zach... You know, Pod Vader has trained him well, but he is not a podcaster yet. And the the interview didn't really add that much more to what we had already done with the fanboys and with Neil and Joanna. However, the whole point of that was this is a saga that literally has spanned three generations. And we talked about that a little bit, Eric and Austin and I, and uh, we mentioned a little bit of it with Neil and Joanna. And honestly, I don't remember how much of that conversation I left in this podcast. Uh, but I know that that Austin and Eric both brought up, you know, the only other movie saga that could possibly match that sort of span uh, would be the James Bond saga. But honestly, I don't see fathers and sons and families you know really bonding over it the way that Star Wars has uh, and that's something that's really unique I think to this movie franchise uh, and and something I don't think uh, is replicated by any others uh, many others have tried and many others have failed so in that aspect Star Wars really does have a very special place in history in our hearts uh, and as, of course, we move forward, as there's going to be many, many more movies uh, coming out. We know there's at least five more, uh, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty more after that, as this movie has broken many, 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 many uh, revenue records. So, uh, for Eric Young, TNA professional wrestler, for Austin Lee, contributor to the Fantasy Movie League and FootballGuys.com, for Neil Rosen, sitting around talking movies. And for Joanna Langfield, The Movie Minute. I am merely Pod Vader, and it is my pleasure to say, may the Force be with you. <laughs>